court rulings galore. The last couple weeks have seen wins on religious liberty, the right to protect yourself, and of course, the right to life. I have a lot of analysis I want to give you on this week's Corey Truax Show. Would you be surprised if I told you the second most important ruling from a court in the last month or so was not in the United States? It's actually a court in Japan. I will tell you about that and a lot more going on in the judicial world on this week's Corey Truax Show right here on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Among other things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church as their pastor for teaching. If you don't have a church home, and I know this broadcast terrestrially in the upstate on Saturday mornings, and we have all kinds of people moving to Greenville. If you just happen to be going through the dial right now, you're looking for a church to plug into, you are invited to Beachwood Church on 123 in Greenville. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings. Here's the purpose for today. I always want to make you more informed. I often think about talk radio or talk podcast, but podcasts ultimately are... uh, are an outgrowth of the popularity of spoken word audio, which was radio originally. That talk radio has to be the the intersection of entertainment and engagement or enter, uh, entertainment, engagement, and education is the one I was thinking of. We have to teach things. Here's a lot of information, but we want to do it in an intriguing and engaging way. So I want you to have just the facts of some things going on in the world around you, but then some... Uh, certainly some analysis. And uh, in part, I want you to have the facts because there is plenty of sometimes ignorance out there, people that just don't know. And then there are also some liars. You're being lied to, people for their own political gain, for their own sometimes financial gain, for, uh, for adverse motivations. They are lying to you. And so I, I want you to have what you need to be informed when you see uh, even the ignorance. You know, I say that word, and immediately, the nice guy in me, because believe it or not, I'm kind of a nice guy. Even I, it's like pricking, it's, it's kicking against the goads is the biblical phrase. I don't like that. I don't like saying that because it sounds so mean. But in its denotative sense, the word ignorance just means to be without knowledge. So I don't think there's a lot of, a ton of people with malice that are lying. I think a lot of people just don't know. That's actually the first preamble, really the only preamble before we actually just dive into these court cases from the last couple weeks. Something I noticed with all of the ignorance flying around, airwaves, like ostensibly educated people with microphones pinned to their lapels, talking into cameras, some ignorant things they say, to of course the idiotic stuff that just floats around social media. Here's something I noticed about secular progressivism in particular. Secular progressivism is very bad at its own arguments. This brand of folks on the left, this brand of liberalism, they're bad at their own arguments. I've witnessed it, especially on on social. I will admit to have been a lurker. I don't participate much in internet debates. I'm too old for it. But I, I have lurked in the comment sections and I just found the, the pro-life position in particular, but I've also seen discussions on religious liberty, uh, the, this prayer case with this coach out in Washington, gun cases. In all of those scenarios, the folks on the right just seem 
much more much more prepared much more familiar with the facts and the underlying the the, the underlying ground on which the discussion must be had and I, I just kept seeing it really the my side of the argument being well represented and just not having much resistance from folks with that with, with any real intellectual heft and I, I wondered about that why why is the rank and file rightist seemingly more informed and ready to discuss on these topics in particular, those around the Constitution and what what what, what the federal government's for versus what the states are for and all these things that we call human rights? Why is the rank and file rightist seemingly more prepared than the rank and file leftist? And I think I nailed it. They don't have to practice. If you grow up, secular, so not practicing religion. You might call yourself some religion. You call yourself a Christian or a Jew or because your parents were and it's kind of the neighborhood you grew up in, but you're not actually practicing. You don't show up to actual worship services. N- nothing in your daily life marks you as that faith. That Those folks, if you grow up like that, and you grow up generally left, grow up gener- generally liberal, you'll, you'll never have to, if you don't try, you'll never have to interact with points that disagree with you. So the movies and the music you watch, the music you listen to, the movies you watch, they're going to uphold your moral standards, not biblical moral standards. They're going to, your opinions about sex and sexuality are affirmed everywhere you look on TV and in music. Your views on promiscuity or homosexuality, everywhere you look, they're going to be affirmed. When you turn on late night TV, even when I was a kid with, with Jay Leno or Letterman, and especially now with, with Kimmel or Colbert, your views on guns or sexuality or religion, they're affirmed everywhere you look. You never have to interact with an argument that disagrees with you. The headlines at the newspaper in the grocery store, the magazines, the actual news you listen to and or watch, everywhere you look, you are affirmed. And if you are not those things, if you are not secularist, if you're not on the left, everywhere you look, you are challenged. Everywhere you look, you're going to be told you're probably some kind of backwards rube. For you following this religion, for your antiquated views on sex and sexuality, this prehistoric Neanderthal view of defending yourself with force, yeah, you're, you guys are just backwards. And so you better get good at it quick. You better learn your arguments quickly. And the, they just have. Folks on the right have. They were so much more ready for arguments around abortion, guns, and religious liberty than folks on the left were. And I, I think that's the reason why. That's why I saw... Here's just some examples. In the abortion cases of when I was watching discussions, 100% of the time, this is without exception, 100% of the time, the person to bring up God or the Bible or religion, the person, to, the person to bring that up first was always the secular progressive. Someone on the right was trying to argue, just using logic and science, about wh- where, where life begins, what's in the womb, is it human, is it a person? And if it is, it, it deserves protection like other humans. And then just showing the, the illogic of the randomness at which folks on the left and secularists say that life begins. It's just so, it is so arbitrary when they say a human begins existing and deserves protection. 
they're exposing all that. The person on the right is exposing on that, and the person on the left just comes back and says, we don't care about your ancient religion. Keep your Bible off my body, or whatever. Like, all you know are these stupid slogans. You don't actually know how to defend your position. You only know slogans. My body, my choice. That's it. You don't have, you have no depth to it. I noticed that in the dissent in Dobbs versus Jackson. I encourage you to go read that. It takes a bit. But the dissent in the case to overturn Roe versus Wade, it doesn't even refer to another court case besides Roe versus Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood. It doesn't refer to another case or another law until page four. And if you read the Alito majority opinion, it is so buttoned up. They have a footnote in that <laughs> there's one footnote that goes off for a page of just quoting every case that or every ruling that was the overruling of a different ruling. He was just he was showing his his logic on stare decisis. When you can overturn a case, here's all the times the Supreme Court has overturned a case. It's a lot. And so when people are freaking out about you can't overturn precedent. Yeah, well, they do all the time. I'll go ahead and give you some of those. I think this is a, a good time to do it. I'll come back to the point. When you hear that argument, you can't overturn precedent. You don't actually believe that. The people saying that, none of them actually believe it. Brown versus Board of Education that ended segregation, it overruled Plessy versus Ferguson. Plessy, ver Plessy versus Ferguson was the one that said you had a separate but equal that you had to have equal accommodations for both black folks and white folks, but they could, they could be separate. You could segregate. It was only 58 years after Plessy versus Ferguson that Board of Brown versus the Board of Education said, no, you can't have separate but equal. That violates, that's mostly the 14th Amendment. This is uh, Baker versus Nelson was a case that upheld, this is coming out of either Wisconsin or Minnesota, I can't remember, that upheld that a state can say marriage is between one man and one woman. Obergefell versus, uh, I forgot, that created gay marriage. Lawrence versus Texas is the law, is the case that says a state can't make illegal certain sex acts. In particular, that case was about sodomy. That overturned Bowers versus Hardwick. Bowers versus Hardwick established a state can regulate what sex acts are legal and which aren't. I bring you those examples because folks on the left love those. And Brown versus the Board of Education... Now, granted, I think Brown versus the Board of Education was the right decision as well. But Brown, Obergefell, Lawrence versus Texas, these are cases the left loves, and guess what they did? Those dastardly judges overturned precedent. But here's what I found. Folks on the left don't know that. Secular progressives don't know that. Here's what they know. I, don't, I like abortion, I don't like guns, and I don't like religion. That's all I need to know. And that's how they argue. They weren't ready for these discussions. So as I was witnessing those arguments, I saw they were the first ones to bring up religion. I saw that the court didn't even really try to make a, a case. They just, a case from, from law, they just said they didn't like it. And then there was the slanderous lie, constantly, of folks saying, you're only pro-birth, you're not pro-life. And by the way, if you're pro-life, you, uh, you have to take on every problem on the planet. And unless you're ready to personally solve every unadopted child and all the poverty in the world, then you're not pro-life. I place that burden on you, and until you solve it, you're not pro-life. All right, great. You're really fun at parties, aren't you? 
Now, that really stupid point, because they only know slogans, they don't actually have any depth to the argument, has very well been proved wrong. You know that it's 5% of Christian households have adopted a kid, where it's 2.5% of non-Christian households? I say back to a secular world, why are you guys so uncompassionate? Vast majority of charitable giving is done by Christians. Vast majority of volunteer hours done by Christians. Vast majority of money given per dollar earned. So not just big money, but even that means middle class and lower income earners being generous. That's us. That's a Christian thing. It's a slander and it's a lie, but it's all they got. They just had their slogans. And so I saw that. It, and it really has been a, celebra- a celebratory month for for freedom, for the Constitution. And I, I, I don't mind saying to people, you can be humble in your celebration. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. I see some folks on the right saying, no, rub it in their faces. Rub it in the liberals' face. Rub it in the secular progressives' face that all these things happen. I don't think that helps anything. I'm ready to have a humble celebration. The Lord has done a good thing. He blessed this land through a month of upholding the, the, fu- the fundamental freedoms in the Constitution of individual liberty, religious liberty, making it more clear what states, and states can't do, excuse me, what states should do, what the federal government can't do. All that's a good blessing, and I'm going to celebrate it. And then, once we're finished with the celebration, we just soberly look at the, the work that is still ahead of us. I want to give you more details on these cases and what is to come. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts, and right here on his radio talk. With court rulings galore come lies, fabrications, and sometimes just misunderstandings galore as well. We will clarify a lot of those on this week's Corey Truax Show. Thank you for coming back for it right here on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you look for my very weird name, Corey Truax, you'll find me there. You can also email the show at Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com. I suspect it's not because everybody has malice and terrible intent, but there's just a lot of wrong think, a lot of incorrect information going on regarding a lot of these rulings. And so just want to toss out some of what I've heard with regularity, like the patterns I've heard, and make sure that you're prepared to, uh, and also to inform you. Some of you actually might be worried about some of these things, uh, but I want you prepared to be able to explain it to others. So one, I already gave you the list, but when someone says something about the court taking un mitigated or unprecedented power and overturning this long-term right that it's a very, very big deal. I just want you to know that's just not true. One, the court actually gave away power. Roe versus Wade, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, that's the court grabbing power that doesn't belong to it and saying to the states and the federal government, we're now going to write the legislation. We're going to write the law. We're going to turn up a a trimester scheme, and they're going to turn into a viability scheme. We're going to make something up, something the legislatures are supposed to do. They write the laws, not the judges. The court said, we're not going to write laws anymore, but you are. You, the people, by electing representatives in your state, you'll go write laws. The court gave away power here, so it's not a power grab. And two, you have the very long list of cases of the Supreme Court overturning itself. And for, for good. I gave you those three in the first segment because those are the ones 
folks most angry about the Roe versus Wade decision would identify with. The decision to create homosexual marriage, to create the requirement for sodomy to be legal, to integrate schools. Now, I think everyone's, I hope everyone's on for integrating schools, but these are all of those cases that folks on the left would applaud and say are good things. Those are all the court overturning itself. And the court has overturned itself dozens of times. If you go to the Supreme Court's website, it's easy to find the decision in Dobbs versus Jackson, and I think it's footnote 27, but if not, it's easy to find inside that document for all those cases. So, number one, the court did not have a power grab that gave away power. And overturning precedent, honestly, not a big deal. Do it all the time. If the original decision was wrong, you overturn it. That's how it works. Two, of course, me being a, not single guy, but, well, a longtime single guy. I was for most of my adult life. My knowledge on pregnancy is, is pretty low. I mean, I, I got the basics. But there, there was the scare put forth out there in the world that women who are treated for something called eptop, ek, uh, it's hard to say, eptoptic pregnancies, I, I didn't even say it right that time, might be prosecuted for treating what was a pregnancy gone wrong. The impl- implantation goes wrong, and so you never have a viable child, and you have to treat that for the, for the woman's sake. I had to explain that to an old friend. I don't think she would call herself a friend anymore after the conversation. She me- messaged me about something I put out on on Instagram, and she, I just corrected her about eptopic pregnancies. That's not even abortions. You put it in the wrong category. That's called a treatment. It's treatment for something that went wrong with a pregnancy. It's not even an abortion. Unfortunately, I actually think it is the Catholics, it's not the Protestants, who've done the best philosophical work on this where they have articulated a life-saving act that has the byproduct of ending another life isn't killing or murder. It was a life-saving act that had a secondary effect. And e- But even in the case of eptopic pregnancies, that's not even what's happening. It's just a life-saving act that its byproduct ends life that was already going to be ended that would never develop. So that one... <clears throat> We shouldn't need laws to clarify that. That's just obvious. And also, by the way, there aren't even pro-life people or pro-life legislators who even want such a thing. That's absurd. So it's a scare tactic that says people might be prosecuted for something they shouldn't be prosecuted for. Hey, we're all on board with that. So you can all chill out. No one wants to do that. Final big scare tactic I've seen is of what's next. I'm not even. I'm not saying Clarence Thomas was wrong in his concurring opinion that said there's a lot of old cases that need to get reevaluated because they were wrong that had to do with things like contraception or gay marriage or something. But to be clear, the concurring opinion from Kavanaugh and even the one from Alito make clear this is very specified to abortion because of a compelling interest that has to do with life itself and the ending of life itself. And so there's, uh, it's just a scare tactic. This court is not and some of you will be disappointed in this this court has no interest in going back and relitigating a lot of those other decisions now i wanted to take a second on this road versus way piece because it is momentous right we we should celebrate i think we should probably celebrate every year like on a june 24th right that's what happened yeah last friday do you on june 24th every year we should have a a day of life some kind of day of remembrance for this thing and so i want to slow down on it before we get to other cases not just equipping you for arguments, but 
let's remember the story on how he got here. Over 50 years ago, or almost, almost, excuse me, almost 50 years ago, a woman in Texas who we now know as Norma McCorvey, she is the Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade, was manipulated by two activist attorneys when this, when this Norma McCorvey wanted an abortion. She was manipulated by two activist attorneys in Houston to sue to be able to abort her baby. We know what happens. Eventually the court creates this fake, out-of-whole-cloth right to an abortion, right to terminate your pregnancy. And that was reaffirmed in 1992 with uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood. They just came up with a different way to do it. Roe versus Wade set up a trimester system. Uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood set up a viability system. But they still uphold the core finding that abortion is a human right. And for f- almost 50 years, there have been folks over generations trying to overturn that case because ending abortion outright, which is the ultimate goal, really couldn't happen until that was done. There's binding legal... Uh, the, the, the legal precedent would mean that if you pass a law that violates Roe versus Wade, judges at all levels will throw it out. And so a long, arduous process took place. And there are key moments on how we got here. I just want to give you three. One is going to surprise you. One. This is the one that will surprise you. Never underestimate how important the election in 2010 was. If you go do the the research on that one, it'll blow your mind. By the end of it, when you count congressional seats, Senate seats, very important here, state legislatures, state senates, over a thousand seats nationwide flipped from a very pro-abortion party. Like, they are big fans of abortion, Democrats are. It flipped to a pro-life party. Not a great party. Party kind is terrible. I'm not a fan of it. But it's a pro-life party that is generally against abortion. Over a thousand seats. In some way here, it's, it's odd to say it. The outrage over the Affordable Care Act in one way led to overturning of Roe versus Wade. Because so many of us were outraged at the Affordable Care Act Over a thousand seats flipped parties, and it set up a series of events where state legislatures were trying the trying the edges of Roe versus Wade, seeing where courts would come down on it. It was in 2010 that we had that census, and those thousand seats had a lot to do with drawing maps that ensured the the right people were in the right districts at the right time to cast the right votes over that proceeding decade. It was the 2010 election, in large part, that set up the the final stretch. It was like in a relay race. The 2010 election was that the baton, the baton was handed off to sprint towards this conclusion, and we got it 12 years after that 2010 race. Never overlooked that on how significant it was in us getting here. The, well, here's one. Never underestimate how important it is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the besainted, the beloved by folks on the left, how her arrogance cost them a seat on the Supreme Court. She was so sure that Hillary Clinton was going to win in 2016, she didn't retire in her very, very old age. She thought it would be a very appropriate way for her to go out, that if the first female president would nominate her replacement. That's what she thought would happen. 
But it, her arrogance is what cost them. The, it, it, to, that, to that end, uh, depending on what happens in 2024, as, as much as I love him and I think he's the best justice, it's time for Clarence Thomas to, to not be arrogant when, when it's time. Not right now, but if 2024 goes a particular way, he's getting old. And it's always time to, it's, it's always good to consider your mortality and how it affects the entire country. So the 2010 election, the arrogance of Ruth Bader Ginsburg to stick around. And I, the guy gets plenty of hate. I, I guess he deserves it a lot, but that old turtle that runs the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, I've made fun of him for years. He looks like a turtle, he talks like a turtle. But his willingness to not put Merrick Garland up for a vote in the last year of, o- of Obama's term. It's, just, it's clutch here. It's very key. Real quick note on that. I think they did handle that poorly. What should have happened is Merrick Garland was given a hearing, and they just vote him down. Republicans had the Senate. They had the Ju- Judiciary Committee. They should have given him a hearing and then voted him down and said back to Barack Obama, send us a constitutionalist, and we'll be glad to vote for him. Or send us another right now, and we'll he- do those hearings, and then we'll vote that one down. So there should have been a vote, but either way, Keeping Merrick Garland off the court was clutch. And Mitch McConnell has just been cut throat over the years about judges. How about this one? The uh, Harry Reid, he used to be the Democratic leader of the Senate from Nevada. I think he's passed now. But he was the one in 2010? No, no, nine? I can't remember when. He is the one who did away with the filibuster for judicial nominees. It used to require you to get 60 votes to get a judicial nominee. And he changed the rules. They called it the nuclear option at the time, that you only needed a bare majority. If he doesn't do that, then these Supreme Court justices don't get, they don't get 60 votes. There's no way. There's a bunch of hidden little steps along the way that got us here. And never forget this one. This is my last one. The Lord and His Sovereignty. We're not where we want to be. I still think we're a, we're a people under judgment, in part because of our, our culture of death. Not just killing in the womb. We are often entertained by movies and shows that just love death and blood and gore. We are, at least in our entertainments and then in the actual action in the streets as our crime rate goes up, and again, what we're doing in abortion, we might be just as violent as Nineveh was, Maybe just as violent as the days of Noah were. We're a violent people. We're under judgment for that and many other things. But the Lord was good in his sovereignty to bring a mercy. In particular, I saw one, one study I, I trusted. I thought the methodology was good. It was on Axios. That right now we have a, about a little bit less than 700,000 abortions a year in America. They think it's going to be about 100,000 the first year uh that are cut off that number. 100,000 lives walking around. In that vein, I would point you towards this resource. The Sunday after that Friday, I'm sure a lot of pastors and preachers got up and talked about abortion. And I think Matt Chandler of the Village Church, of all the takes I, I heard on the internet at least, may have done it, the, I think he probably did it the best. He called it a, I think, a sober celebration of life. And so it was celebration, and then it was sober reality. Hey, there, there are going to be needs. Now, at the same time, while there are going to be needs, 
I do look out at a church that's been doing it largely through these crisis pregnancy centers. With, as more light gets shined on them, they have been doing this work the entire time. I, I'm very compelled by that argument that if someone needs training, help, crib, diapers, wipes, formula, well, if anyone can get formula right now, but they can walk into a crisis pregnancy center and get any of that. In Planned Parenthood, you can get walk in and get one thing. You can get that child killed. That's your options. We got pills or we got a procedure. You want one of those? That's your, all your options. The true help comes in these crisis pregnancy centers, and it's time for us to be generous, to maybe even volunteer hours where, where it's possible, where you can. I don't, I don't appreciate some of the commentary on that because there's an assumption here that the church has been doing nothing. They've just been doing nothing this entire time regarding caring for women. That's not true. Now, there have been a lot of lackadaisical and absent church members, but there have been a dedicated group inside of Christianity that have already been working on this for decades. And as they need more support, we, the, the church, the, we, the, the laity, we need to be ready to help, to help them out. I would point you, to, by the way, to preborn.org. Preborn.org is one of my favorite ministries. Regarding this, they have, I think it's hundreds of clinics, and they're, they're gospel-centered. They're not going to be shy about presenting some gospel truth to men and women who come in abortion-curious or are looking for support. Um, they also do, they try to provide pre-ultrasounds because we have all this data that shows even if a woman is abor- abortion-minded, once they see an ultrasound, once they have a heartbeat, they can see the child, that rate diminishes greatly, and I want that. So preborn.org, preborn.org, I think they do great work. Final thing on Roe versus Wade, we'll spend the last segment doing the other cases. On the, I got a couple emails and messages because I used to do so much election analysis asking, well, doesn't this change the trajectory for what's going to happen in November? Because the trajectory right now is this big red wave and this could change things. Well, first, even if it did, that's worth it. Can we say that, please? It's totally worth it, all right, if the trajectory changes. We're going to have 100,000 more babies born. That's awesome. That's, that's a good thing. But for my analysis, I, I feel so dirty putting, putting this hat back on. I, I can't stand this world so much now. But here's what the data suggests. Of course, if, if an election is about abortion, like here's what the left wants. The left wants the, abortion, the election to be about abortion in January 6th. That's why they put the January 6th thing on TV so much and why they can't stop talking about it. If that's the top of mind issue that voters say they're worried about, then yeah, it changes the trajectory and Democrats probably keep the House and the Senate. It's just, the data just says it's not going to be that way. I mean, I, I specifically was looking for that following Tuesday. This, I, I do have some insight here on how to, how to measure these things. The following Tuesday, there was going to be a primary in New York and one in, I can't remember, I think maybe Maryland, but it was definitely New York, and that's what I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch, in the primary election in 2022, is there a big spike in turnout compared to the primary election in 2018, the other midterm? Because that would show me, if there's a big spike in New York in turnout, it means the folks on the left are fired up now. They have gotten out there. And turnout... In a very competitive New York governor's race, by the way, and the Dem- that's, that's the only thing that matters in New York State is the Democratic primaries. It's the same way in South Carolina, the only thing that matters is Republican primaries. There was really tepid turnout. It actually doesn't seem like there's a big political upheaval over this. There's some spiking in the 
in the polling that's real. I do think uh, there's. I saw a data point that said there was way more enthusiasm now on the left. That that was American elections, by the way. There's there's always decided by turnout. Very few people vote relatively to those who are allowed to vote. In every two years, the subset of people who show up are often very different. That's how we get such swingy elections. And what what we were seeing in the data is people on the right were the ones fired up. They really wanted to go vote. They could not wait. So that you, when you were doing polling, you ask, um, are you eligible to vote? Are you likely to vote? And the the cohort of people saying they're going to vote in 2022 was more right-leaning. They were much more enthusiastic. Well, there was an enthusiasm spike on the left wanting to go vote because they were mostly dejected. They didn't want to vote. Now they want to vote. The thing is, it's a long time between now and November. And while the news on Roe will start to dissipate, what stays top of mind for people is that it's impossible to go to the grocery store and not spend $100 anymore. It's, it just rings up so quickly to triple digits. It's riding by the gas station sign every day and just never getting below $4. It's, it's still seeing in the streets crime and drugs and murders. It's seeing this unbelievably tragic story in Texas of this loose immigration policy causing people to try to come across the border in a tractor trailer and then die of asphyxiation in the back of it and and all the heat. That's what continues to be top of mind over the months because those things aren't going to change in the coming months. And so I think it's kind of a wash. I think, I think the people who are most loud and dedicated to abortion are already in blue States, already in blue districts, and they were already going to vote. It didn't fire up a new set of people appreciably high enough to change the trajectory that we're on. I guess we'll find out in November if I'm correct. When we come back, we got lots of other cases I want to go through. Plus, this is the episode closest to Independence Day, July 4th, so I'd like to offer you some thoughts on that. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Chuak Show, wherever you find podcasts and right here on his radio talk. More court cases to go through, and then maybe to finish, I'd like to give you a thought on Independence Day before we get out of here. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show, wherever you listen to podcasts and right here on his radio talk. It was an awesome June for freedom. We spent most of the show responding to, preparing ourselves to talk about the, the crown jewel of this crown, which was overturning Roe versus Wade and all the work there still is to be done there. But there were some other important cases. Let me give you two more. Uh, We'll put these two together. The court ruled that if a state has a voucher program where people can go to private schools and use government money for it, you can't exclude Christian schools. The program in Maine says that if you are in a rural part of Maine, which is a lot of Maine, and we, we don't serve you with a public high school or middle school within a certain mileage, and there is a, a private school, well, we'll get you a voucher to help pay for tuition. I think it's $7,000 tuition for that school. And people wanted to use it for Christian schools. And secular folks step up and say, no, we can't have that go to Christian schools. And the Supreme Court says, yeah. And of course they should, because the dollars are attached to the student. The dollars aren't attached to the, to the actual institution. If education is for the student, then of course... This is what should be, but it's also the constitutional thing. That's more important for the courts. I should stop on that and talk about it for a second. Here's what I kept noticing as well on as people talk about these cases. They seem to not understand 
that it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to judges what the impact of their cases are. Like I, I was listening to something on on the way to the house here before I started recording, and the argument from someone on the left was, well, if the Supreme Court decides this particular way on this Environmental Protection Agency rule, here's all the effects it will have on climate change, and so they shouldn't decide that way. And to which I just respond, it doesn't matter. That's not the question. That's the Congress's matter. The states have to deal with that. The, the dissent in the Roe versus Wade case was just largely, but here's all the bad things that might happen to women and children. I know this might sound weird for some of you, but you need to get this in, uh, in your minds. That's not the concern of the court. The court does not, it's not supposed to, consider the impact of their rulings. They rule what is and is not constitutional according to the text of the Constitution. Then whatever the impact of that is, that's on the state legislatures. That's on the Congress. Lawmakers solve problems. Judges adjudicate disputes. That's how it's supposed to work. But all people tend to know is, but I don't like it, and I want them to fix it. Well, that's not their job, and that's not how it works. So the court ruled correctly that you can't exclude Christians. That's, that's really all what's happening here. Was a, a government was saying, anybody can use this, except for you Christians, or any religious people, but there happens to not be a lot of you know, Muslims in Maine, not a lot of Jews in Maine. But of course, it should just be attached to the student, so the student can go get an education. There's a violation of the Establishment Clause here. The First, uh, first Amendment has lots in it, but one of, the, one of the clauses is, Congress shall make no law establishing religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. If you don't know this, the 14th Amendment applies the Bill of Rights and the Constitution to each state. So now Congress can also mean the state legislature cannot make a law establishing a religion. But of course, they didn't. They did nothing of the sort. It's not giving money to a school. It's giving money to a student who then goes decides where to spend that money. It's actually a common practice, even here in South Carolina. I had some scholarships from the state of South Carolina. They were given to me, and then I give them to who I want because they're mine. It's my money. It belongs to me. And then I can give it to a Christian college if I want to. Same thing here. And they ruled that it's a good word for, it's a good thing for religious liberty. And it's a good thing for our kids. If other states start to enact more school choice and more voucher systems as becoming more popular on the left and the right, as school is finally taking the same ethic as we have in every part of life, we like to have lots of choices in streaming services and internet companies, what cars we buy, what brand of clothes, what restaurants we go to. We like a lot of variety. We demand to be able to be discerning. That's finally happening for a lot of people on the left and right when it comes to education and where we send our kids to school. So as more systems like that get created, this means kids can go to the Christian school and maybe afford the Christian school that their parents want for them. Related to that, there was a case on the other side of the country in Washington where you probably heard this Coach Kennedy guy was praying on the field after a game. And again, uh, the court just ruled correctly that just because you now work for the government doesn't mean you have to stop being a Christian in public. In in particular, the court says here he's he wasn't acting as a school employee. He was acting as a private citizen. We, a lot of a lot of us do that at work. We're not always just representing our employer. There's th- we don't we don't give up our entire identities when we go to work. And this is another good ruling for religious liberty. That yeah, when you're at work, you don't have to stop being a Christian. Now, let me a word to that Christians. Do your work. Work hard. Your reputation at work should be that you put the most in and you don't let up. 
if your, quote, practicing of your faith, end quote, causes you to do a bad job, well, you're not being faithful. Our mandate is to be good employees, to work hard, and, and, and also be Christians as we do it. And so the court does well to rule that the uh, that this coach can go pray and that that should be that should be enlivening to Christians who work in the public school system. You don't have to leave your faith at the door. I had an odd view I, I saw it said this is reestablishing prayer in schools. No, it's not. A coach can pray after a game and you interpret that to be we're gonna have teachers leading classes in prayer now in public schools. And that the folks they have to argue these things. They don't. They don't know enough because they never challenged. They only know the slogan. They know separation of church and state. Separation of church and state, and they just say it over and over again. They don't even know what it means. If you don't know the history, here's the quick version. When Thomas Jefferson was president, this I think this is 1802 or 1803, the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut sent Thomas Jefferson a letter because they were concerned about the federal government choosing a religion, choosing a denomination of Christianity. And Jefferson wrote back to them in a private letter that there is a wall of separation between church and state, and so government can't do that. So the specific doctrine isn't in the Declaration. It's not in the Constitution. It's in a letter. And he says specifically, hey, this thing you're worried about, you're worried about the government coming in and establishing one church and preferring one? We can't do that. We're not the government. And that's the end of it. That's the doctrine of separation of church and state, properly understood. But in a hypersensitive society that tends to just hate Christianity, they've tried to mean, they seem to want to interpret it as, Christians can be Christians in their house. And as soon as you walk out, you have to be an atheist. It's an odd, it's an odd predilection, I think is the, is the word, or predisposition maybe, where folks in the secular West think that in public, atheism is the, new, is the neutral stance. Neutrally, we just have to all be atheists, which is a religion unto itself. Or neutrally, if we're a neutral society, we're all secularists. That's a religion too. Everywhere we look, people are practicing their religion. I got to keep moving or I'm going to run out of time. Because uh, Okay, we already talked about the gun case, I think, in a previous episode, so I'm skipping those notes and let me do this one. I told you that the the second most important court ruling of the last month was not in America. It was actually in Japan. I want to read to you this headline. This is from June 19th, so this happened very recently. Japan court rules gay marriage is not protected by their constitution. And this court, this court in Japan says, marriage is for bearing and raising children. Huh. So we have a non-Christian country with no, like no Christian background. Actually, one of the least Christian places on the earth is Japan. We, we need to fix that, by the way. Like we need missionaries there. South Korea sending out a lot of missionaries to Japan. They, uh, uh, with no Christian reasoning at all, reserve marriage to be between one man and one woman. And specifically because they're saying, yeah, w- the government has no interest, I don't mean like they're not interested, they have no compelling reason to affirm your love. Why do governments care? Why, why do you? Why would anyone want and feel affirmed? Like, the government said I'm married, and so now I'm morally acceptable. They just said, no, marriage is an institution 
for, for the society. We need people. We need humans. And so marriage is how men become more civilized and stable. And then it is in a marriage that a child can be brought up. And that, that's how we're going to have a, have a legacy. The, the, the healthy way to bring up children is with men and women. There's just The government has no reason to affirm a male-male marriage or a female-female marriage. There's no reason for us to care about it. So no, we're not going to do it. And even the, the arguments that... I, I went and read a translation, obviously, of some of the arguments being made to their court, that court there. It was the stuff, uh, stuff of, well, there are marriages that don't produce kids, and there are marriages that can't produce kids because of infertility. I love that this court responded to those, saying, yeah, those are exceptions. The rule is... 95, 96% of the time, men and women get married, they're, and, and they're not trying to not get pregnant. They're going to. That's the natural state of things for the vast majority of humanity, and you can't argue the rule by giving me exceptions. I think it's just important for folks even in America, for the secular left, to recognize. This thing you did with marriage was so weird. You acted like the government, <laughs> the government affirming your relationship is what made it meaningful. What a weird definition of your relationship. Until a federal government bureaucrat says my marriage is legit, my relationship is legit, it's not. But of course, that wasn't what it was. We so worship government, the ethic became, once the government says what I'm doing is legal, it's right. It's moral. And all you people that say it's immoral, I can stick that in your face. The government said what I'm doing is right. Of course, the Bible rules over all that, and no. I mean, gay marriage is wrong. It's immoral. It will be judged eternally. And a people, a country that does it, will be judged, will be under judgment for instituting gay marriages. But you don't even need, you don't have to, it's, it's good to have it, but you don't even need biblical thinking for that. You can also just go to Japan and say, oh yeah, that's logical. Why would the government care about your love relationship? That's a weird thing for them to care about. Okay. I save myself very little time to do this, but we're coming up on Independence Day, 4th of July, and that's how I want to finish today. Every year, I just I try to strike this balance. America was a good idea. We're, we're not at our healthiest. We're, we're a shadow of the people we used to be in our character and our toughness, even in our ingenuity in some ways. Certainly in our morality, we are, we are far flung from the folks who founded us. Now, I don't even mean the 56 signers of the Declaration. I mean the, hundred, the hundreds of thousands of people who made up this land, the adventurers who braved an ocean. And then once they got here, just kept pushing west, looking for independence, looking for self-reliance. These are good values. And I can celebrate this place. And every year... Every year, I want to. I want to celebrate it for all of its advancements, for human flourishing. All the medicines we have because of America. The exploration of outer space, putting a man on the moon, first ones to do it. Oh, yeah, well, I was going to say the only ones, but the first ones. The, the invention of just lavish comforts. Satellites in outer space, internet, GPS, the MRI machine, air conditioning. I don't. I know some of you don't like it, but genetically modified foods. The fact that in my early years, in the early 90s, I remember being told the population bomb 
was the world was not going to have enough resources to feed everybody. And it was really American food science and agricultural sciences that figured out a way to grow enough food. Now, we don't grow it all here, but we came up with the methods so that the rest of the world could do it. And while we have grown exponentially in number of people, mostly in Africa and Asia on the planet, the number of people in poverty has actually gone down. Listen, not by a percentage of the population. The absolute number of people in poverty has gone down while population has been growing in the poorest parts of the world. How did we do it? It's mostly America. It's mostly the ideas and the innovations, the inventions that we've had here. And I want to celebrate that. It's good. The Lord's been good to this place. And while you celebrate it, I also just want to point the believer's head higher. I understand you're going to certainly get, in some of your mediums, you're going to get people who have a bunch of negative things to say, like this country's not worth celebrating. Yeah, I, th- I think they're naive, and sh- I think they got that totally wrong. There's a lot to celebrate about this place. I just always want to point you higher. I don't know how much longer we got. Could be 50 years, could be 500, I don't know. I just know that this awesome place doesn't have my heart and I don't want it to have yours. It'll fall, just like Rome did, just like the Greeks, just like the Ottomans, just like the Persians, just like the British Empire fell. This one will fall apart too. And when we think about it, I know we got concern, especially if you have kids, you don't, you know, you don't want a hard, wor- hard world for your kids. Totally get that. But let that be the ache in our hearts that you just, the people you love, you don't want them to have a hard time. But let it not be an ache in our heart that this place comes to an end because our hearts are set on a world place not made with hands that will go on forever and ever. Happy Independence Day from his radio talk and from the Corey Act Show. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.